at four is my biggest riser and it's LMU. I thought before the year that LMU, if healthy, had a shot to be in the mix. And sure enough, not only how have they been, are they going to be in the mix, this is a team that looks like it's going to make noise in the in conference play. Hey everybody, I am back for another week of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I was on vacation, so I am back. I am rested. And there were some exciting things that happened um, during the couple of weeks that happened. I and I was excited to get back. I was excited to kind of hop on the podcast because teams were starting to look good. It was starting to roll in the right direction. And then in the last 48 hours, we've had two devastating losses to two WCC teams who had have ncaa tournament hope so we'll get into we'll get into that uh we'll have a chance to to chat with rocco miller from the bracketeer we'll go over just kind of like some season prediction uh season predictions as we're now only a week away from the start of conference play um and then i'm also going to redo rehash my predictions from b- before the season and reconfigure them as we head into conference play but first, kind of start with this up and down uh, trend we have had over the last couple of weeks. Some teams are trending up. Some teams are trending down. Some teams are utterly confusing. So let's try to dive into what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to start with BYU. BYU, I have been on all season long is not having a whole lot of faith in them. I thought the BYU didn't just did not have the right pieces around them. They did not have that guy. Uh, We didn't, we hadn't seen it from Rudy Williams yet. We hadn't seen it from Dallin Hall. Obviously you're not going to expect that from a freshman right away. Um, They've been banged up. Spencer Johnson has missed games, still missing Trevin Nell. And that he might be returning at some point in the next couple weeks. So we'll see on that. But then also just look, they were coming off the last time, uh, right after I did the podcast, they were coming off this loss to Utah Valley, which was a bad, bad loss on on the Marriott Center floor. Bad look for BYU. And since then, they have now beaten uh, Creighton, which yes, Creighton is in free fall. So you kind of take that with a grain of salt. They did beat Western Oregon, the D2 game. You're not going to count that one. But then they came out and beat Utah. And this is a solid Utah team that BYU has actually played very well over, over the course of their rivalry. So this is it's not terribly surprising that you that BYU plays them well. I think what was shocking was just how well BYU played from beginning to end. And 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 I think probably their most complete performance of the season to this point. It does look like BYU is at least starting to put some things together and it's starting to look right. But I do want to put a little bit of hesitation on that and go too deep into it because this is a team that we've seen all year long will play up to its competition and then also play down to its competition. This is still a team that only a couple of weeks ago, again, we talked about they lost to Utah Valley. They lost to South Dakota right before that. So, 
while it does look like BYU is starting to play better, maybe it's just because they've played some better teams, and for some odd reason, that's just how their season has gone. The better the team, the better they play. The worse the team, the worse they play. And and right now, they're playing some good teams, and they are playing pretty well right now. So maybe we're looking at a trend in the right direction for them. They do have Weber State. Uh, that. They do have Weber State next week, which will be an interesting matchup only because Weber State just got finishing knocking off uh, Utah State, which which they were one of the last remaining um, undefeated. So that is a huge feather in uh, Weber State's cap. And only again, like again, like just a few, just another couple of weeks away from the start of conference play. We have where the BYU will start with Pacific and then they also start with Portland. So kind of a soft first week, relatively soft first week. That Portland game is going to be interesting. It's in Provo. Um, but we'll get back, we'll round back to that when we do um week week previews for the start of conference play next week. And we're talking about this roller coaster of teams, roller coaster of wins and losses. We can't we can't not talk about USF. USF had a stretch where they had a lot of opportunities against some very good teams. They played Utah State, lost that game. They played New Mexico. They lost a close one there. And then they had UNLV uh, this past weekend and picked up a huge win. And in a kind of improbable fashion, they scored the last 11 points of the game to to win that game, Ty Roberts with a three with about, I believe it was uh, six seconds left in that one to, to take that one. Again, huge win against an undefeated UNLV team. It it really kind of like perked up everybody. It's like, oh, USF picked up one of those wins. This is a Q1 win. This is a team that could actually, looks like that they were finally getting over the hump, that they almost beat New Mexico. They finally got the the big their big win against UNLV after having a number of opportunities and they still have an opportunity this week against Arizona state. But then as I record this on Monday night, this follows a devastating loss to UT Arlington. And that is the type of game. That is the type of loss that will cripple USF's chances of of let alone an NCAA tournament bird, this is going to be devastating for the idea of an NIT spot as well. They're going to have a lot of work to do to try to get back into that race with really just like one mark, one marquee win. Now, again, they win against Arizona State and and all that changes, but we'll see how that goes. That game is going to be up at on the hilltop. So USF will have that home court advantage. It is another Q1 opportunity for the Dons. They they do need to pick up they pick up that pace a little bit more. It, it almost kind of like this game felt the Arlington game felt like a trap game and it absolutely turned into one. They were they were trailing from the get-go and never were able to recover in that one. But U, USF is again, it's like it's a little confusing. I I was not completely sold that they were going to be that team going into this year. I thought that the losses of Bouye, Masalski, Tape, Stefanini, it's a lot. You know, like four year starters are gone. And yes, you bring back, you brought back uh, Cleo Shabazz. Zane Meeks has played really well. Ty Roberts has been, been one of those guys, but they don't have the offensive juice that the team a year ago did. 
they've still played very, they've still been pretty well defensively so far this year, uh, but they need to put it all together. If they're going to beat an Arizona state team, which will probably get them back into the conversation, but this Arlington loss is going to, I think weigh heavy as we get deeper and deeper into the season. And speaking of losses that are going to weigh deeper and deeper into a season, St. Mary's dropping their their Sunday matchup against against uh, Colorado State. And yes, Colorado State does have a little bit of like a of a. They've played two different seasons. They've played the season before Isaiah Stevens came back with when he was hurt, and the season that they've had since. But this Colorado State team, the, the the day Isaiah Stevens returned was the day LMU played them, and they ran LMU off the floor. And they came in the Moraga last night and dictated the tempo for the most part of that game. Isaiah Stevens played really well all game long, even while being checked by Logan Johnson. St. Mary's just looked offensively out of sorts most of the game. Uh, they played... Honestly, I think this felt like the worst game that they've played all season long. Uh, this They did not look in sync. The defense wasn't as sharp as we had seen it. This, and now here's the crazy thing. So you look at some of the numbers and it doesn't make sense because St. Mary's took 11 more free throws. They out-rebounded Colorado State by 12, had 11 more offensive rebounds. But they couldn't hit their free throws, which has been a problem all season long for St. Mary's. They allowed Colorado State to shoot 55% from the floor, which is the highest percentage they've allowed all season long. And 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 we got maybe what was what was his by far his worst performance of the season in Mitchell Saxon. Uh that it was it was kind of a it was a nightmare second half for him. And I'm going to go too deep into that, but this is a situation where St. Mary's does need to kind of figure out what's what's ailing them and ailing them quickly because they all. This is a team that now has had plenty of opportunities, and while yes, they have some good wins, they needed the San Diego State win, but now they've afford they they no longer can afford themselves too many of these other losses. Wyoming is coming up this week, so that's another key matchup for St. Mary's. They're, I think they need to get the Wyoming win to kind of quell and calm the the panic, the little bit of a panic I think many St. Mary's fans are having right now, including myself mildly. I have mild panic of where St. Mary's is playing right now and how they're playing right now. I thought they looked like they were starting to pick it up. They were starting to play a lot better. Again, talk about the San Diego State win. They had Missouri State. They're starting to get some momentum, and then call this game happens, and it looked like it all went out the window. So they have Wyoming this week. That'll be a big one before they get to conference play next week, and they start and they start with San Diego and Santa Clara. So it's I think Saint I think St. Mary's has had plenty of chances, but now it's in a position where it can no longer stumble. I think the margin for error in conference has shrunk quite a bit. And while the net and the Ken Palm do look still pretty good right now, we know that those numbers are going to come back to earth once they start conference play, especially as we have seen so far in the non-conference. A lot of, we've seen a lot of inconsistencies up and down the board from, 
the rest of the WCC, whether that be BYU, Santa Clara, USF, LMU, whatnot. Actually, less so with LMU. LMU's maybe been outside of Gonzaga, maybe the most consistent of the teams in the WCC. But again, a lot of ups and downs, not to say that there's not talented teams in this league. There absolutely are. I think that's what makes that's what makes going into the league dangerous this year more than any other. If you have hopes of building a resume, there are going to be a lot of potential pitfalls in conference play this year, maybe more than there ever have been. Last year, yes, I think the the league was better as a whole, especially on the top. But those were also opponents that weren't going to hurt you if you picked up a loss. Right now, those same teams are going to hurt you if you pick up a loss. I think Santa, now Santa Clara could be one of those teams that kind of like pushes its way through. LMU could also be one of those teams. USF has now put itself back in the position, unfortunately, with the Arlington loss, that now they're going to be, that they're potentially going to be a worse loss for for a St. Mary's or, or a Gonzaga than they may have been otherwise. And then as far as as far as looking at wins that were impressive or win or games that got away, I mean Pepperdine also had a shot. Like they lost the Grand Canyon over the weekend, and this was a game they had. This was a game they should have won. They they let it get away from them there at the end. Pepperdine is still learning how to close out games, and I think that's one of the challenges I thought that they would have going into this year. And and what's kind of crazy is it does seem that like just even from a week ago, two weeks ago, that where I thought some of these teams were has completely changed. Like if like I did the grading, the like the midterm grades a couple of weeks ago, if I could go back and do that, it's like, um, I think I'd be changing almost everyone's grade. But but to look at a little bit more, the one big positive, and if I'm gonna look at that, is is Gonzaga. Gonzaga played maybe its best game of the year on Saturday when they beat Alabama on the road in Birmingham. They played with better pace than they'd have all year. Anton Watson was was great. Um he was he was aggressive, he attacked the basket, he didn't second guess himself. He really looked for his he took advantage of the opportunities that he had. Drew Timmy was his normal amazing self. The de- I thought the defensive they had a, one of the defensive units out there that I thought was really interesting to kind of see that this unit that was kind of that was anchored by uh, anchored by Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas as well as Efton Reed. It was interesting to kind of see that group go. Be- while that team that group does was a little bit of offensively challenged. That was a very good defensive unit. And it was it was really good, nice to see Gonzaga be able to kind of like mix and match against this Alabama team who is so so ride or die with the three that Gonzaga was able to kind of weather this early stone because it looked like it might have gotten away from them early. But I think these tough games that they've played to this point have helped Gonzaga. I a lot of people left them for dead. And I never saw that. I thought that they were going to get better. I thought they were going to improve. And that is what we saw against Alabama. Now, this is the first time they've really been able to put it all together and and really do that against a, a top-tier opponent. 
yes, they 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 have the win against Michigan State. Yes, they did against Kentucky. But Alabama is the their best win. It's gonna be it's the feather in their cap right now. And if Gonzaga continue to be consistent like they were in that game and bring that night and night out, night in and night out, they're going to be in very good position once we get to March and when to get to Selection Sunday. So Gonzaga's put themselves in a very good position. All right. And with that, all right, we're going to bring in Rocco Miller and he'll go over with us what we should expect in WCC play and and just some looking at some other factors that, of some of the teams that we have we've seen and what we and what his outlook on on what the conference has been so far all right and we'll bring in rocco miller he's bracket an analyst for the bracketeer you can find him at the bracketeer.org and also on twitter at rocco miller eight rocco how's it going it's going great zach how you doing it's good to be back not, on yeah not too bad and it's great to have you back um now that we're in the midst of a call the midst of the college season, we're almost wrapped up with um, non-conference play. Uh, for most conferences, some have already started to start to play some of those games. But let's let's focus on like the WCC here, and I want to start with maybe the most confusing team to me in BYU. This is a team that plays up to its competition, down to its competition. Really, is still trying to figure out who are going to be some of the leaders on this team. We've seen some great things from Rudy Williams, Dallin Hall. They have some injuries. What are, what's your read on BYU and where they are right now? Well, I, I don't think anybody could argue with you on that, Zach. It has been confusing, especially to watch them game to game. Obviously uh, highlighted by that two-game stretch where they were basically home for both South Dakota and Utah Valley. Uh, the South Dakota st- was was a stunner. It's a team in the 250s, uh, and they played it in Vivian Arena, a, a spotlight game in the Jazz Arena. Uh, it was a game I actually helped them. I helped them schedule. So <clears throat> I, I know they did all of that in, with the thought that, hey, we'll win this game by double figures. We'll move on. The fans will have a nice nice Saturday afternoon at, at Vivian Arena. And, and South Dakota, you know, they've got a couple of nice players. I think they'll be good in their league. But um, what they did was they threw some junk zone defenses, basically what we would call mucking it up uh, to throw off BYU. You know, BYU's got some abysmal uh, shooting numbers early on. Um, they also have been really careless with the basketball. And when you do those two things, a team like a South Dakota can come and beat you even on your in your backyard. And that's what we saw play out. Their next game against Utah Valley was even worse because Utah Valley is a better, more structured team, more veteran team at this point in the season. And Utah Valley really exposed them, uh, also threw some junk zones at them and really forced them to take a lot of outside shots. It was not a pretty, pretty game for BYU losing by 15. And that was in the Marriott Center. Um, and I think those are the big warning signs. You know, I think it's pretty glaring. You can go to their Kempom page. You can see their 334th and three-point shooting, which is a shocker. They've got guys that can shoot. I mean, uh, if you look at the two freshmen right away, Dallin Hall and Richie Saunders, everything I heard about them in, in preseason and in their scrimmages where they were just lights out. Uh, but they're going to go through freshman going pains, and they're really giving these guys uh, a lot of chances to prove themselves. Dallin Hall is now kind of a ride-or-die guy for uh, not only BYU fans, but Mark Pope himself. Um, he's now drawn four straight starts. And so I think they're just going to let this play out, and assuming by February, March, uh, they will start to come together. Now, we're starting to see some early signs. Timing for the Creighton game was excellent. They get Creighton without Kalkbrenner in the middle of their six-game uh, losing streak now and find a way to win that thing 83-80. to 80. 
Um, and then, of course, the Utah win even more impressive because Utah is a very sound, solid, don't beat themselves team. And Rudy Williams, um, you know, he's basically become, I think, the heart and soul. They need him on the court almost at all times, especially in crunch time. Um, Dallin Hall's, <clears throat> I'll go back to him for a second because you look at his numbers, they're not great at all. Uh, but if you look at his numbers in the last couple minutes of halves, whether it's the end of the game or the end of the first half, he's really, really clutch in finding a way to get a bucket there, almost like Mahaney at, at St. Mary's. So uh, you, you like the promise of, of Hall. You like the steadiness of, of Rudy Williams. And then I would also just say Troyori is a beast and and does his thing on the, on the glass. And uh, that's allowed BYU to maintain being one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the conference top 50 team in the nation. So they've got some things to build off of. They've got some wins now with Utah Creighton and Dayton. We'll see how Dayton does later, but uh, to, to build off of as well for a resume. Right. And I mean, obviously they have a kind of a ways to go. They were, they opened up the net almost down near the two hundreds or up about, I think about one forty now. So they're, they're making some progress, but it's like, it still sounds like it's going to be a tough climb for BYU to to kind of get back into that. And that kind of makes them dangerous coming into conference play, at least for some of those teams who are going to be vying for a tournament bid like Gonzaga St. Mary's or whatnot. Uh, and speaking of Gonzaga, let's, this is a team that, yes, they've had a brutal, brutal schedule. Like they've had maybe the toughest, if not one of the toughest uh, non-conferences of, of, of the entire season and it looked like that they were starting to figure it out. And then just on Saturday, we saw them go down to Alabama and beat a very good Alabama team. What what's been your read on Gonzaga? Because it feels like that this team, there was some doubt of whether or not this team could be a final four team again, could, is actually national title contender, but it starts, to, it's starting to seem like they're cleaning some of those things up that we thought were issues early on. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so, so, you know, in, in summary, obviously uh, going down to Texas was not pretty. They were blown off the court pretty early in that one, losing by 19 eventually. Uh, could not match up with Zach Eady and Purdue. Uh, that was an 18-point loss. Pretty much never in doubt for, for Purdue there. Um, a grinder with Baylor. That game could have gone either way. Ended up losing that one by one. But I, I think both Gonzaga and Baylor were not playing uh, by near anywhere near their best basketball. Um, so they had some get-right opportunities. Uh, a decent 17-point win over Washington, a Northern, Illinois, a Northern Illinois team that's not competitive, so not much to read from that result. So then that brings us to Alabama this past weekend. And in a game where, you know, Alabama loves to play like a wide-open NBA style, a five-out offense, literally any guy on the on the Crimson Tide can hit a three on you. And I think that's a really nice matchup for Gonzaga um, because it allowed Gonzaga, their offense, to free flow. They can get a lot of fast bucket points to Timmy and others. You know, I thought one thing that really stood out was Anton Watson. Um, not only his yeah. season high of 17 points, but the fact that the coaching staff gave him 37 of the 40 minutes. And um, I, I feel like that proved um, to me, at least in their big games, that the Efton Reed experiment is pretty much over. You know, even Ben Gregg only got a couple minutes. And if you're going to play with the big boys, which Gonzaga is going to do mm-hmm. once we get to March, um, this is going to be your six, seven man rotation. Uh, and, they, and they really just rolled roll hard with Timmy and and Watson in the front court. Uh, I think Watson's given them better defensive energy. um, And that's been the big problem as, as I said, with the ED game. And and you've seen that in other games as well. Um, And I think with Strother and uh, Malachi Smith, um, you can kind of just interchange them based on the hot hand. I I think Malachi is going to struggle more with better defenses uh, has been my observation. I think in this Alabama game with not much defense, 
it was a nice opportunity for him and he had a very productive day. Um, and Strother actually only played 18 minutes. Um, and, and I think when you have a more defensive struggle, you gotta have, you gotta lean on Salas more like they did against Kent state. You know, they're in real trouble against Kent state with four minutes to go. They trailed for a lot of the second half, but Salas was just by far their best defender. And so you, when you see them play St. Mary's twice, when you see them play, you know, anybody else in the league that's going to come with a defensive focus first, um, you're going to lean heavier on a guy like that. So I think Gonzaga's needed all these games to kind of see what they've got because they clearly – I still think they have a, a front court hole. I'd be very concerned mm-hmm. if they play if they play a TCU or a Houston in the tournament, a very physical, big front line. Um, but beyond that, you know, if they get in these track meets, they're going to – it's going to suit them well. It does seem kind of like that because they played such a tough, tough – non-conference that while this isn't a Gonzaga team that we've seen in years past, isn't the Holmgren teams, this isn't the Jalen Suggs team that while there's still holes, like it's, it's, it does look like they're making improvements as they go. Like the guards are still kind of like, a. I think the consistency for Gonzaga on that front is going to be the key, like the Nolan Hickman, the, the Hunter Salas. And again, like you talked about those rotations with Strother and, um, and, and Smith we'll, and we'll see how this kind of goes as, goes along they had a great night against alabama i think the consistency night in night out will be kind of the the key for them so, so looking at at the conference of like i think it was always written up in the beginning of the year that this is gonzaga's conference to to lose and and based on what we've seen so far has the gap between they and saint mary's shrunk because of what we've seen so far i know like the the loss to say saint mary's loss on sunday was there were my opinion, worst performance of the season, but it's like it, to me, generally, it seems like that these teams might be a little closer than we originally thought. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. Cause I think you can look at it a couple of ways. So I think when Gonzaga and St. Mary's play each other on the court, I'm expecting very competitive games. Um, you know, in Spokane, obviously it's a very difficult task for St. Mary's still it's an uphill battle up there. Uh, but I think when they come here in the Bay area, they will, you know, they'll be met with a lot of resistance. St. Mary's will have a brilliant game plan. Uh, like we just talked about with Gonzaga, that defense will, I think, give them a lot of fits. I could easily see them splitting. Um, would not surprise me at all. But I do think the difference here is the margin between Gonzaga and everybody else is is a lot wider. And I think that the margin between St. Mary's and everybody else is a lot thinner. Um, and I think over the course of a conference season, that will play out and probably give Gonzaga – uh, a two to four game spread at, at the top, assuming these are the top two teams sh- sure looks like it so far. Um, and I think that's the thing. I think, you know, when you go St. Mary's versus Santa Clara, St. Mary's versus USF, St. Mary's versus BYU, you know, those types of matchups are, are closer to toss ups. When Gonzaga plays those three teams, I fully expect Gonzaga to roll. Um, and so, you know, it'd be more shocking if, if any of those three could knock off Gonzaga. And I, th- and I think that's, you know, that's the answer to your question for the conference race. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's a, a very clear number one in Gonzaga, especially with just all the different things they've figured out here in non-league. Um, and then St. Mary's, I do believe, has earned that number two. The San Diego State performance um, is going to carry a lot of water. And thank God they got that win because, <laughs> yeah, you know, now they've got the two home losses. That's that's tough. But it's not just the San Diego State win. I love what St. Mary's did schedule-wise. You know, Oral Roberts has turned out to be a really strong team. They blew them out in the opener. North Texas, as we knew. Uh, once they got healthy and Tyler Perry back, they're now pretty awesome. I've got both Oral Roberts and North Texas in my top 10 right now in the mid-major poll. 
And so they're going to have these supplemental non-conference wins. Uh, ideally, they go beat Wyoming this week um, to, to build their resume and kind of overcome a couple of these losses, I think. Yeah, it's just some un- unfortunate losses. And and kind of the margin for St. Mary's, I think, is usually just a little smaller because of just the style of play and everything else. Um, so and as we... The talent gap as well. The talent gap, yeah. Um, as we kind of start to look at what we've seen through the first month, month and a half of the season, are there some players that have stood out to you? Not like the, not our typical star players, but like, has there a newcomer or a returner that's kind of like stepped up their game. That's kind of like really caught your eye here early on. Yeah. I mean, I, this might be a super obvious one, but I think Brandon Podzemanski needs to be mentioned because he's just done it all for Santa, Santa Clara in a lot of ways. You know, in in 14 games, he's got eight Ken Palm game MVPs. Usually you don't win game MVP unless your team is winning. So that's that's been huge for the Broncos. Uh, but, you know, you, you, we've all seen how close he's come to a few different triple doubles. He's usually getting in the 20-point range. Uh, the game last week, I thought, against UC Irvine, he only scored seven points, took a back seat. Carlos Stewart went for, I believe, 20, 28 or 29, and, and Keyshawn Justice yeah. went for 26. So he – He's now proven the ability if somebody else has the hot hand, he'll, you know, help create for them and and, and be a good teammate. I think it's a really good sign for Santa Clara long-term and also shows his capability of a, uh, of an all-around player, not just a good score. Um, his assist numbers are up lately as well. Uh, so very encouraged by that. Also looking forward to seeing them. Um, I believe I'll be there Thursday when they play Boise State. And, I, and ideally I'll be at their opener as well for the league when they play San Francisco next week. Um, so I'm excited about what he brings to the table. I think like any WCC fan is. And then I think um, I, I Cam Shelton deserves a lot of credit at Loyola Marymount. Um, every one of their D1 games, he's scored in double figures. His offensive efficiency numbers are through the roof. It's one of the most efficient players in the league. You know, they've achieved um, some some better results this year, I think because of his steady play and the emergence of a few other players. But he's certainly been the leader of the team. and. And, you know, you look at their losses, they won't, uh, they lost early to Riverside and and basically a last minute loss uh, by two. The other losses are Irvine, CSU and Utah State. None of them are bad losses. Those are all away from home. And they've beaten Wake Forest, Grand Canyon and Nevada. I mean, this is a, uh, a team I think being slept on by most that they're in basically every game. Colorado State's a tough place to go to and they got blown out there. But <clears throat> beyond that, I think Shelton's a big reason why he gives them a, a great chance. You you still have LaPepe there. Uh, you know, Justin Arends came over from Ohio State, and I, I'm really uh, intrigued by ch- what Chance Stevens has brought to the table, especially in the Wake Forest win as a as a sleeper freshman, um, just to give you another name. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's some good stories brewing down in Los Angeles from LMU. Yeah, L- LMU has been definitely the the pleasant surprise so far in, in the non-conference. And, I mean – I I was kind of like cautiously optimistic that they could actually kind of jump into that group. Like everyone was talking about like the, these three through eight teams in the WCC that are just going to mangle each other. And LMU was kind of like just on the outside of that group. And now it yeah. turns out it's like LMU has been the most consistent. LMU is going to be right there in the mix. So long as they stay healthy. I feel like that is always the, one of the biggest keys. They've been so banged up over the last few years. Yeah that when they're healthy, like they clearly can be a factor in this league. 
yeah, absolutely. They're, they're such a competitive team and tough team. You know, I think some of that too was last year's disappointment. Nobody wanted to put their neck out uh, on the line for them again, a second year because the, the roster at least apparently didn't change a lot. But uh, like I said, with the emergence of Stevens and some of the improved play of the vets, makes a lot of sense that they've taken a jump this year. And I'm happy for Stan Johnson. I mean, we all loved what he did his first year. Last year took a big step back and now uh, appears to be right in the mix here in that like three through six range in the conference. I certainly have more uh, confidence in them than teams like San Diego or even Pepperdine. Um, we'll see where Portland's going. Obviously, they're somewhere in that range, but we're still trying to figure out the pilots as well. All right. Then I'll let you go. But before I do, what's like if I put your feet to the fire, who's going to be that third team in the WCC uh, that that will end up getting that one of those buys in Vegas? <laughs> yeah, foot to the fire. I, you know, it can go any other way. I think San Francisco's in the driver's seat, uh, at least resume wise. They won the UNLV game and, and they they had New Mexico for 37 of the 40 minutes. I was I was there for that as well. Um, so I think San Francisco's got a, a great group of characters, obviously a few holes, you know, maybe front court wise or defensive wise, I feel like they're getting better game by game. Um, it's, it's probably either them or BYU. Um, I'll, I'll go with our backyard team, San Francisco Dons, just to put my, just to, you know, put, put something on the line here, yeah. but, uh, very, very easily could see BYU. I, I do like Santa Clara, I think more than most. And then, uh, I would say LMU and Portland are the deep sleepers. All right. Sounds good. All right, Rocco. Thanks for, for hanging out. Uh, you can find Rocco on Twitter at Rocco Miller eight, and then also uh, check out the website bracketeer.org. Thank, thanks again, Rocco for hopping on and we'll uh, catch you down the road. All right. Sounds great, Zach. Thanks for having me again. Thanks. I want to thank Rocco one more time for hopping on. It's always great to have him him on and be able to chat some college basketball. I mean, he, he knows about as much as anybody in the entire sport. Like he, he, know, he knows like every, every team you could think of. And he's got this and he's right here locally. Like he's in the Bay area. So he knows our, our local WCC teams very well. So, all right. So as we go into the last week of the non-conference one week before the start of conference play, I want to revisit my preseason predictions and really kind of like examine where, where I thought everybody was and where I think they're going to be now. And so the quick rundown to, as a reminder of where I had everybody. So I'll go from la I'll go from 10th up the first. So I Pacific 10 LMU nine, San Diego eight, Pepperdine seven, Santa Clara six, BYU five, Portland four, USF three, St. Mary's two, Gonzaga one. one two and ten have not changed gonzaga still one st mary's still two pacific is still 10 although i will say that pacific i think is has played better than i thought they would i think they've i i think they've clearly made a leap from where they were a year ago that doesn't mean that they're going to be any better than 10th but i do think that they're 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 a lot more competitive um, than my than my preseason prediction would have had. All right, so let's take a look at the rest of the league. So I'll start at nine. At nine, I now have San Diego, which is I moved them down one spot from where I had them at eight. 
San Diego has been confusing to me. San Diego still has not really lived up to what some, what many believe that they could be. Not to say that they're not talented because they are. I just it doesn't seem like they've been able to put it together against a quality opponent. So San Diego nine. Another team that I slid down only one spot is Pepperdine. I think Pepperdine has shown that they're still really young and they still have a lot of growing to do. There is a ton of talent on this team. Max Lewis, Houston Millette, Mike Mitchell, Javon Porter. This team is this team is going to be really good. They're just not there yet. And I think if we, if this team could hold can stick together for another year or so, they're going to make that leap into the top half of the league. I do believe that. So right now, and this is where I'm like, I, this is where it gets hard. I feel like from here on out, the, the, the three through six teams are going to be so up and down, but here, here's where I'm going right now. It's right now at seven, I should say uh, three through seven, not three through six, three through seven. The team I have at seven is still BYU. I, the inconsistency of BYU is what concerns me most that they play up to their competition. They play down to their competition. I could see them losing to Pepperdine. I could see them dropping one to San Diego. They did drop one to Pacific last year. So let's BYU is a team that you, that is is on paper more talented than most of the rest of the teams in the league, short of Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and maybe, and maybe Santa Clara. But BYU to me, I think has to show a level of consistency that we have not seen yet that the very least, the other teams in the conference have shown a little bit more, not much more, but a little bit more at six. Man, I I hate to do this because they have so much promise. They are such a veteran team. I'm putting Portland at six. I've slid them down a couple of spots. I had them at four. I'm sliding them to six. I, I have a hard time not focusing on that North Dakota State game. I have a hard time not focusing on how the Oregon game went. Even though they beat Villanova, even though they almost beat Carolina, even though they almost beat Michigan State, and they had a great weekend that weekend, even though they, again, rightfully so, they think they should have won a cup the other two. They're, they have been way too inconsistent on the highs and the lows. And on more times than not on the lows. Uh, Portland is playing with with more level of expectation. No one is overlooking them right now. No one, Going into the season, no one was overlooking them. And I think that's playing a lot, a large part of that. So Portland, I I'm going to, I'm going to dropping down the six for my predictions going into the year at five is USF. I, I, I think like I would have, I think I would have had him at third had they not lost to Arlington on Monday. Uh, the margins are so close right now that I feel like something like that is going to 
way pretty heavily. This is also a team that I don't think has a large margin for error on the offensive end. They honestly look a little bit more like kind of like a poor man's version of St. Mary's. Like they play pretty good defense, but are they going to score enough points? I don't know if, if USF is that quite has that consistently. And right now I still think they're going to be top half of the league, but I, but right now I'm, I would put them at five at four is my biggest riser and it's LMU. I thought before the year that LMU, if healthy, had a shot to be in the mix. And sure enough, not only how have they been, are they going to be in the mix, this is a team that looks like it's going to make noise in the in conference play. They're, I believe they were eight and three last last I looked, eight and three, eight and four. They they won the Jamaica Classic. They have some really solid wins. This they're they're playing with confidence. Cam Shelton has been one of the best players in the league so far this year. They've you still have Kelly Lau Pepe. You still have some really key pieces on this team, and they're deep. This is a deeper team than LMU has had in a long time. And while they did have a down year last year for what for any number of reasons, go ahead and have your pick. I think LMU is pro- has proven thus far to be one of the most consistent teams in the non-conference and and i think that's going to carry over well in the wcc play so lmu four at three is santa clara i think they have the best player in the league not named drew timmy brandy pajemski has been everything that santa clara could have hoped for he leads the team in points, rebounds, assists, steals. You name it, Brandon Pajemski has given that to Santa Clara. And in the last few weeks, we have seen the others start to come with him. Keyshawn Justice has started to play really well the last couple last few weeks. We've started to see we started to see more consistency out of um, Carlos Stewart. And Carlos Stewart was a guy like I was. I was cautiously high on him before the year because he reminded me uh, he reminded me in in some ways of Jared Brownridge. And we're starting to see kind of some of that. It was like he he I think his I forget which who the opponent was, but in one of the recent games where he scored 29, this is this is a team that has the offense. They're going to score and keep up with teams. For Santa Clara, the question is whether they can defend enough and whether or not enough of their scores will show up on a given night against a legitimate opponent. Both Santa Clara and LMU are top hundred net teams are both top hundred Ken Palm teams. So LMU and Santa Clara are the two. I think they're going to at least vie for making a little bit of noise. And I think if things actually go well, like those two could actually also be sniffing an NIT bid. And I think just like that idea that the bounce back up for LMU from a year ago could be an NIT bid is kind of amazing. Even, even if it's like an outside shot at this point, that's still, that still should be an acknowledged as an, as a pretty amazing accomplishment for, for that program. And again, of course, like, as I said, like number two is St. Mary's and number one is Gonzaga. Those two have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Um, I, I don't. This is not your Gonzaga team of last year or the year before. Uh, 
I think St. Mary's has in the in the three losses they have had this year, they're very clear issues that they have. And it's going to be a matter of cleaning up this. This is the St. Mary's team that is the worst free throw shooting team in the league and actually the worst free throw shooting team of a Randy Bennett team in about 10 years. It's been a long time since the St. Mary's team has been this poor from the free throw line. And it's, and it's cost them enough games. Like all four losses are, I may believe it's now by combined 15 points. So they're, they're losing close games and they're being bitten by the free throw buck. Not not to say like obviously they're also they've also not executed well down the stretch in a number of games. So there's also that. So let's not point just directly at the free throws. The St. Mary's has but they're this close to just being 13 and 0. And that's it's almost a maddening thing that's because it's been little things here and there that's preventing this team from being from being from being maybe like one of the remaining undefeateds or like being a one loss team at this stage. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here for this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I do want to plug one new thing that we do have that we that we do have out. Um, if you are on Discord, I do want to actually encourage you to search out uh, the what the West Coast Conference basketball server. Uh, go ahead. I'm going to put the link in my link in bio. It'll also I'll also be tweeting it out as well so you'll be able to find it there and join the conversation there join in with the rest of the wc's some wcc fandom it's it's fairly new so there's all we're still kind of like building this thing up uh we do have a lot there are a good number of the people are coming in are zag fans so let's get some more saint mary's let's get some usf let's 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 get a com- real community of, of WCC fans in this um, discord server and we'll, and we'll have fun there. All right. So again, that'll do it for this episode of the unofficial WCC hoops podcast. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, be sure to also um, like and, and share, share the podcast on spot Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Post by Zach. Also on TikTok, Post by Zach. All right. And, all right. And that'll wrap it up. So again, uh, I'm Zach Farmer, and I will catch you later. <laughs>